All right, welcome everybody to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you everyone for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. We'd first like to thank our sponsors in Fly Racing, Monster Energy, Box, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Cherbies, ASU Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, O'Neill, Whole Shop Motorhomes and Evenstroke for all the incredible support. As without them, none of this would be possible. Also, a big shout out to Whole Shop Motorhomes for jumping on board to sponsor our upcoming podcast. Whole Shop Motorhomes is the UK's specialist motorhome dealer for motorsport transport. They specialise in garage motorhomes and race vans that are suitable for a wide variety of sports such as motocross, enduro, karting, mountain biking and more. Check out the Commander Motorhome that's sure to fit your needs and also check out them online. And we also have an article on our website and a YouTube video on there. So check them out and get involved with them. For this episode, we have another Aussie motocross focus show as I'm joined by exciting young Aussie MX2 ace for Gas Gas Australia, Noah Ferguson. How's life and thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, life's going good at the moment. So just kicking the feet up on holiday time. So can't complain. Yeah, mate. Good time to catch you, mate, because it's been a pretty flat out season, even though it's sort of elongated a bit in Australia, mate. But I guess we'll start off with Melbourne. A lot of people were sort of surprised you were racing there after the spill in Newcastle where yeah, it looked like it was a really nasty one there, mate. So I guess how was it for you? How was the Aussie Supercross season for you as a whole? Obviously, it started off well and Newcastle was still pretty strong till it wasn't, mate. So enjoyed it. Probably would have liked a few more rounds, but I guess capped it off well mate pretty brave effort battling the pain to come out in melbourne and still get in the top 10 there so just talk us through the season in melbourne as well as a whole yeah so had a bit of an incident in newcastle where i just probably misgaged the the last final main event like where i just jumped this jump straight into the back of someone and just i hyperextended my knee and popped the kneecap out so i was actually trying to get off the track and race safe for like nah stay down and i was in a quite a bit of pain because I've obviously never done anything to my knee so every injury I've ever had has been the arm and it's like you kind of can baby your arm and hold it and like make it a little bit better but that knee was like that sore and I got in the race safe truck and I was like just on the green whistle and like everything and then my kneecap fell back in as soon as that happened I was like all sweet so but um yeah, I went and got MRIs, got all that checked out, ran through all the tests, and then, um, yeah, it was just like a waiting game to race Marvel. But, yeah, Newcastle was like, it's a cool track and everything, but it was so slippery, like so, so slippery. So it made it kind of tricky, like, but it was a cool event. And then, yeah, Melbourne, it was a bit of a, bit of a scramble. I turned up on the Thursday to go – test ride and do do some clearance testing and see if the knee was okay to see if I was allowed to ride and just make sure if I could do the one last hit out for the year and probably the biggest race of the year I'd say so um went down there and I on the way to the test track I forgot my gear bag so that was all sick <laughs> got halfway there and then freaking had to borrow some gear rode for 10 minutes head back to Marvel and then went to the race race safe crew and then got the all all clear so we turned up friday night and just pretty much just rode my own race just i went out there like i wasn't looking forward to doing anything stupid or just trying to ride out of my comfort zone i was pretty much i said to me old man i was participating but like i got eight for overall i did some not bad riding but i just wasn't comfortable so it wasn't myself wasn't wasn't that aggressive riding where you need to be where like I nearly got lapped by Max Ancy, which 
I'd like to be on the podium with him. But yeah, it is what it is. And but I was just happy to be there. It's such a cool event and like such a massive stadium. So yeah, that's it was it. huge, wasn't it? And how did I guess how did that compare to Adelaide? Obviously, you did well there, but sort of pretty stark contrast between those two, isn't it? Yeah, Adelaide was like. Oh, the the size difference doesn't even compare. Like the start straight in Melbourne was literally <laughs> Adelaide. So, but the the atmosphere on like all the venues was good. Um, I will say that. Like the only problem I'd say with Adelaide was it just was really dark with racing. So that was the only struggle. Where Marvel and Newcastle was so it's so bright. It's such a big stadium. So you get so much more room to see where it was the entertainment center in Adelaide was just dark and gloomy. But the only good thing is like everyone's so close together. Yeah. Which, which is cool. But the only downfall with that is, is 10 gates where there was a lot yeah. of factory riders that didn't even line up. Yeah. So like if you top 10, it's almost a win in itself. But I know there's a few people like myself, I got eight for round one and Crawford got nine. And he ended up second in the championship. So that's where, like, this series was – it was so short, but it's so crazy because they had that triple crown at Newcastle where it was, like, three point, like three wins is, like, I think it was 75 points mm. or whatever it was. So – which is massive. Like, I don't I don't think they have that up for grabs anyway. So, like, yeah. it kind of helps. If you do well, it helps out. If you do crap, you complain about it. Yeah, it's hard with the format, isn't it? I suppose they wanted to get more point-scoring motos in because the series is so short. But, yeah, hopefully, you know, talking to Mick a few times, he's definitely, you know, looking at extending the series and bringing it to Queensland as well next year, which should be happening. So that's a pretty cool thing to look forward to you and your family and your circle as well, mate, going back home for a round because that's kind of the hub of motocross in Australia in a lot of ways, isn't it? Yeah, I reckon that if they go to Queensland, it'll be probably like, a bit, it'll be big, just as big as Melbourne. Um, a lot of people, I know a lot of people that head down to Melbourne Supercross, let alone to one in Queensland. Like the, every every time that I go to Melbourne, it's like you forget about all your mates that live up there and whatnot, and then you see them down somewhere. It's like all these guys are from Queensland just coming to watch. So like to have one in Queensland, I'd say would probably be the biggest. I reckon like the. We have the biggest, I'd say, privateer riders, I reckon. Yeah. Privateer base riders from Queensland, I reckon, at race. And it's just good in that way to see them support the sport and head down and just watch World Supercross or Australian Supercross. Yeah, it's in a pretty good spot, isn't it, when you see that kind of stuff <laughs> happening, mate? Because it's certainly, you know, these days it's even probably more expensive than it has been in the past and just hire cars and everything. It's pretty brutal. So it's good to see you know, for the state of the sport that there's that much interest because, yeah, even at Newcastle where I was, you know, made the trip down and, yeah, it was pumping there to, I think, 16,500, which is, you know, that's a pretty good number for anything to do with sport in Australia that's not like AFL or NRL. So, you know, they're doing a good job promoting it and there's a great entry list, like you were saying, and, you know, all those heavy hitters like Max Anstey. So I guess back to you, mate. How have you found your progress has been for the Supercross season? Obviously, your second sort of full-time Supercross season. You know, obviously, you'd like more racing, but you're happy with the progress, mate. You seem to pick it up really quickly. The timing's all pretty good. The judgment's coming along really well. So, obviously, there's some areas for improvement, like with anything, mate. But you're happy with it so far and just want to keep getting better and have more races to get, you know, more experience. Yeah. So, like, second season... um, the only downfall to that is that it's so short. So, like, I've done, what, seven races 
to a pro career in that second season. So that <laughs> in the States, that's what one whole season is. I think it's like eight rounds for one season or whatever it is yeah. for them guys and the 250 East or West. So that that's the, I'd like if there was six rounds for Australian Championship, that would be sick. Like we went to say Melbourne, Adelaide, Queensland, Perth, and then doubled up on another place or whatever somewhere. I don't reckon like we went to Wagga one year. I don't reckon we should go back inland in December, but that place was pretty sick. Like their track was massive and it was like a proper spec track. So that was sick, but definitely don't do that in December again because that was just hot, dry and sunny. So yeah, a lot of choice see. words about that one. Yeah, we could not see a thing. So I remember being on the start line for that one and just going, we're not starting this race. Like everyone just turned their bike off and they're like, those officials were like, what's going on? We're like, we can't see. Like there's the sun was in their eyes and everything. So, but um, that would be cool. I reckon, like obviously, it, Supercross is growing again in Australia, I think. So, which is good. And then, but the only problem is it's nowadays everything's going so through the roof with the prices so just makes it hard with that accommodation like for fans and stuff so choosing venues and all those things makes it hard too because you've got to kind of cater for the right venue you want to sell it out but then you don't want to blow the budget out and then not be able to afford it i think that's what we had happen with another supercross series but it's like those things you, you kind of can't judge on when <laughs> when it's up to the population to decide what they want to do on a weekend. Yeah, that's a good point you make there. Obviously, yeah, speaking to Mick, it's like you got to sort of gradually sort of build it up. You can't just like go three to eight rounds. So much uncertainty when you start doing things like that and so much money, you know, outlaid. So, yeah, it's probably just the wise move to just, you know, get it sort of back up and running to where it should be. And then I guess like World Supercross in many ways, start with a few rounds because there's so much that can go wrong and then just give it some time to... Let the people yeah. in the backgrounds work their magic and yeah, it gets the yeah, a series that everyone loves and it just keeps following it on. So but yeah, I guess looking at the racing, mate, how was it racing a guy like Max Ancy that won a you know an AMA supercross round last year? Like he's just a cut above. He's so experienced. He's been racing for, you know, half his life really at the highest level. MXGP, AMA, everything, nations. He's sort of done it all, been there, seen it all. So yeah, just racing against a guy like that must be incredible, mate. You see the whoop speed he has, just all those little nuances. You know, he's just so fit as well, isn't he, mate? So it's not to learn from a guy like that too and a good character chase isn't it yeah definitely so i think the biggest thing is his race craft and supercross um and then just coming with confidence like the biggest thing is like he knows like and i'm not sure if this is in the states as well but him on the start line i i think this is where a lot of riders like myself like i struggle with as well on the start line he he knows that he's going to be a top top rider so like he's already beat half of his before the races even begin, like when we're all like, oh, I hope we get a good start. Like, you know, it's not really his problem if he gets a bad start, a good start. Like you see him blow through the the field when he got a bad start in Melbourne. So it's like those little things, the race craft, and then just being able to pull out little little jumps here and there. Like I know there was a, a three quad that he pulled out in the main event at Melbourne. So it was like, just to pull them out halfway through a main event and just pull the trigger on it. It's like, yeah, okay, all right, we've got some work to do. But it's like those things and then the I think the biggest thing is the whoop speed. Like everyone can do 
everyone can do the rhythms and whatnot and jump that and hit corners, but the corners and the whoops are the this is the biggest bit where you gain your speed. And obviously staying clicking gear, up gears through rhythms and staying low, I think that's soaking up jumps. Like there was a lot of a lot of us riders in Australia probably struggle. We just try and get through the rhythm without tagging and stuff. But like when you're racing it, it's a total different different speed of where you stay in low and you're actually racing it and doing it. But it's like when those riders come over and you even watch like the World Supercross nights, like Ken Rocks and like you're just like blown away. It's like okay, they 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 can do that. So, but um, I think that's the biggest thing with him. Like he's just so confident. Like the whoop, the whoops would be the biggest. Like the Marvel whoops were pretty big and sharp. So he'd like come through, blow through the outside, and just like be on top for the whole of them. So mm-hmm. like where a lot of us were like, oh, a bit tentative, didn't hit the corner good, we'll pull out. Yeah. So it's just those little things of like being able to hit his marks every every lap and just staying consistent. Yeah. So, so I suppose it's like he grew up in a lot of ways on Supercross before going to the GPs after, you know, obviously growing up in England. So, yeah, there's, there's so much body of work behind all that that he's doing, you know. So you sort of got to give him respect. And yeah, it's a good point you make about the mentality of races like that, mate, on the gate. They sort of just have so much confidence in themselves and their skill level and the bike as well comes down yeah. to it. So what a sort of... Key areas for growth that you're pointing out. Obviously, the mentality was one of them, and also some of the areas in Supercross that make you so good at it. Yeah, definitely. That's what the other thing is like. Oh, like you'd be at home and you just watch some YouTube, but you don't realize like how much experience he really does have. Like where I was watching something the other week, where it's like I think it was a 2011 MXGP, and it was like Ken Rocks and Jeffrey Hurlings and Max Ancy, and it's like. Yeah, okay. This guy's been around for years. It's like I remember in 2011, I was on a 50. So yeah, so it's like you want to be there, but you kind of got to like I got to take it with a grain of salt and go. My time's got to come. Like you know what I mean? Like he's been at this for so many years, and now look where he is. And I'm not sure how old he is, but it's like everything happens and when it happens that's when you start everything starts to fall in place and it's like well he's been there for how many years and now it's only starting to fall into place like so it's just obviously when your time comes and then just the experience i think that's a big thing like when i was watching those videos of him back in the day in 2011 it's like i could see myself doing those mistakes what he was doing then but then now he's not doing it so it's just like okay experience and time and then learning and just growing up and having the knowledge, all right, that don't do that. That would be a stupid idea or, or whatever. Just quick thinking on the track as well. Yeah, but you know, the game through experience and just time on the bike and just getting so comfortable racing at that elite level. And, you know, you listen to him talk about going through the whoops, even at Newcastle, and they bit so many people there too. And he was like clicking up the fifth gear, trying to get the traction. And, you know, a lot of guys were struggling through. And that just sort of shows the, you know, the class that you guys want to reach, isn't it, mate? Because, yeah, it's not easy, those whoops, mate, because the mindset going into them is like, there's a reason why there's only so few, you know, elite supercross riders in the world, because that's no joke, is it, mate? No, definitely not. And those words caught a lot of people out. Like, I remember by the end of the night in the second main event, I was just jumping for them and going to the inside, which, like, I was struggling through them all day when they got cupped out. And it's like those little things, being confident to lug your bike through the corner and having enough speed to get through them. But just those little things to pick up. And then I know throughout the day, it's like 
when I go back and watch it, it's like you watch little things on the tape and it's like, all right, he wasn't even sitting down. He was standing through that section and just little things like that to just get body weight in right spots and not put your leg out and save time here and there. It's just you like kind of switch on to those things when you watch things back. But in that moment, it's like, oh, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? So like I think those are the good things like to have him here in in Australia and what's especially for that SX3 title, like a lot of those riders, I'd probably be like, if I would race, I'd be on the sideline straight away watching 450 and 250. Yeah. Like that's that, cool that, your that's... approach, mate. You're very analytical about it all, like so much sort of nuance, everything you spot, which is impressive for a rider so young, mate. And, you know, that's sort of like coaching stuff for the future, definitely holds you in good stead. If you ever wanted to do that for sure, mate. But yeah, looking at, obviously you mentioned Anstey and some of those other guys, Rocks and World Supercross. When you look at AMA Supercross, who are some of the guys that you're watching you know, for techniques and pointers, obviously Jet Lawrence is, you know, pretty phenomenal. Everything he does, you know, you know the Lawrence brothers too raced against him when you were younger, but yeah, just the head movement, the stability, the balance, everything, the feet, you know, you probably look for them as sort of markers, but you can go fast a lot of different ways when you look at people like Tomac and Deegan as well, can't you, mate? And then Sexton and Christian Craig, there's just so many cool guys that all do things in a different way and but still are ridiculously fast, mate. So that's a good thing about motocross. It's like, yeah, the Ricky Carmichael, James Stewart days, Chad Reed, they get it done in different ways. So it's kind of cool, mate, for people that have a, you know, if you're not a tall guy, or if you're a smaller guy, you can still be fast, can't you? But which are the ones that you're looking out for? Yeah, it's kind of hard. Like everyone's obviously got their unique style, which I think everyone's got their own style. It's just putting it all into what works as well. Like I've grown up with riding at Roy's Road with Hunter and Jet and then they they went overseas I think on like when Jet was on a 65 or 85 and Hunter was on a 125 and it was like Hunter had his style cemented on a 125 before he even went overseas and it was like that was him done dusted and so was Jet. Jet's style was picture perfect and everyone goes oh he he got that style when he was in Europe and it's like I remember the days at Roy's Road is like on an 85 and like everything was perfect. So like where it was like, I'd say myself where I was like riding and it was like, I'm just riding for fun, man. Like, <laughs> like I'm riding for fun. Like legs would come off and it was like, nah, it's all good. Like type thing. So I think that was the biggest thing is like, you got to pitch your riding style back then and get onto it early before like it gets too late. Well, it's not too late. You can always fix it, mm. but try and correct it before it gets too late. And then, as you said, like there's a lot of riders that I'd say like Tomac, like he's a bulldog on a bike, just manhandles that thing. So, but I'd try and say I'd look towards like that Sexton, Jet, Hunter style, just to try and ride that effortless and so smooth and like pitch perfect type. That's the only way I'd put it is pitch perfect where it's just everything's, second nature it's like you can read it off the back of your hand type thing where it's like all right this is coming up just jump that hit the corner don't put a leg out type thing it's just like you don't use your energy and you can just do this all day type thing where it's like sand surfing <laughs> yeah yeah it's like the poetry in motion sort of carrying the momentum yeah. it's really masterful but then you sort of look at someone like hurlings the way he's got that more sort of crouched over and he's just an absolute weapon but he still combines yeah. power and finesse so well 
you know, on all surfaces, especially the sand, obviously. So that's sort of like just such a cool contrast to see those guys going at it where you sort of, you can tell the hard charges and then Lawrence Brothers and your Sextons just look effortless. But the amount of work, obviously, from a rider's perspective that goes into that's just ridiculous, isn't it? Because, you know, I've spoken to some trainers and they say, yeah, it's all good. You want to be like Jet Lawrence, but you just can't do that overnight. The amount of strength and balance and training and coordination that goes into that. It's like years of work, like you were saying, back to when he was a kid. So pretty hard to replicate, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I remember like I'd go to their house after school and stuff like me and Jet used to go to school together, which is like not many people know. So I'd go there like after school or Roy's Road or whatever. And like they would have like man-made BMX jumps and like whoops and stuff. And like I remember going there and he could like manual throw them on a, on a push bike and be like, okay, like everyone goes through like, oh, he's so good at manually. It's like BMX used to do that. Yeah. So it's just like little things like that. It's like they were so switched on where little things like that where it was BMX could have done that and then um, just going there and pr- protecting like his um like his feet, like his bottom half of his body and all that, like on the pegs and just squatting off the knees and all those types of things just makes like everything so much better. Yeah, it's pretty cool insight there, mate. And yeah, back to sort of your motocross season now. How was it from your perspective, mate? Obviously you had elite speed. A lot of the time, obviously, you probably want to fix up the consistency a little bit because like on your day, you're probably as fast as Wilson Todd for sure. Even like in that last round, you were certainly hauling. That's for sure, mate. So really giving it some stick. So yeah, is that the aim for next year? Because obviously, you're probably a legitimate title contender. That's probably how you see yourself, I'd imagine, mate. So just areas for improvement. And are you obviously still pretty happy with the progress and the speed this year's season as well? Yeah, definitely. So I'd like, that's the aim of the game. I think the biggest thing is like a, the start of this year, uh, turned up to one faggy. I had the speed, had everything sorted, and then obviously that tragedy went down there, which is un- so unfortunate. And I, I, I believe the race should have got cut. No one should have scored points, but that was is what it is. I got third at that round, so I was quite, I was happy, but I wasn't happy. Like I think if we had two races and went from there, we'd be sorted. But um, I think my biggest problem was like this year and I've learned from last year as well is just keeping it on two wheels. <laughs> like I, I'll have the speed and have everything going right and then just tuck front. Yep. And then just little things like that, just trying to be there every weekend and then being consistent. Like even on your worst days, you've got to be there. Yep. And I think that's proven like with Wilson Todd, like he wouldn't be the fastest rider. And I remember this, that cool. Um, I whole shot at the first race and there was like, Four different leaders. I whole shot it. I was winning, crash, and then someone else was winning, crash. Someone else was winning, crash, and then I remember on the second start line, Wilson Todd goes, "Oh, you boys couldn't keep it together. I gave you the handicap, and still beat you." <laughs> it was like probably the funniest thing he's ever said because he doesn't say much, but I was like, "It's so true." Because like he started from so back, but let the race come to him, and I think that's where I've got to learn, like. You've got so much time in a, a motocross race where you just got to let the race come to you and not overthink it and over push it. Like once the start happens, like yes, you got to be there, but you got to put yourself in a good spot on the start and then just let it come to you and let it just kick off the laps because there there's so much you can go wrong where things like that where he's like oh I think he was like tenth place and then. He, ended up winning by like half the track. So it was just like 
it's a bit annoying, but it's like you see those things and you're like, okay, I got to learn from that and be better and just use my head a little bit wiser and not over push it. And like, if someone's faster than me, you let them pass and tack onto the back of them and then go from there and then jump, try and pass them at the end or whatever. Just not be so stupid and erratical. Yeah, so. uh, it's a good point, mate. Obviously, the patience, you've obviously noticed it's a problem. So, yeah, just putting it into action, you've got a good framework there, mate. So, and yeah, interesting point you made, just keeping it up because that was pretty much what Adamo did to win the MX2 World Championship aboard the KTM. And, you know, I've done a few podcasts with him and he just said, if I wasn't feeling it, you know, like you said, just let someone go past and still consolidate a decent fifth to third or whatever, because that's yeah. probably be most weeks if you do stay up. So even, you know, battling for wins, you know, like you said, stuff happens to other people. So he was just sort of of the mindset, if I'm not feeling it, I'll just take something. And Tomac's been pretty good at that over the years and kind of do nothing more, nothing less. So yeah, yeah that's the mindset, mate. And you probably are, you know, priming yourself for a title challenge outdoors and I guess in Supercross when the time comes. So that's the aim, mate. Heading in and uh, looking for that. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah hopefully so that definitely like i think that's like you just gotta my biggest problem would be injuries like i raced round one last year or this year sorry and then we had that we had a week off and it was the second round and in between no sorry it was two weeks off and then into the second round and we were trying like we were just training like we actually weren't taking anything serious still had beaten there on the stopwatch and we're like all right few of the boys were like all right we'll go have some fun and just muck around on a bike and that yeah caught me off guard a little bit and ended up freaking hurting myself and then it was just a tail effect of like okay I was out for six weeks so I missed out on round and then I missed like I missed out on two rounds and then it just like I think what was it round four Gilman or I think so I'm not too sure it's like I started to slowly get momentum back. Like I landed on the podium and then the next round I was on the podium and then the next round I'm just shy of the podium and then I'm, I was on the podium again. And so I was on the podium four times out of the eight eight rounds. But it's like if I missed, didn't miss those two rounds and didn't, didn't hurt myself, it's like what could have been. Mm. So I think that's what another one is like. I love doing whips and stuff, but I don't do it anymore. <laughs> so everyone's like, oh, why don't you throw big whips anymore? It's just like, oh, I've got PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, it's the Kaida Wolf and his trainer, Ruben, that obviously worked with Jeffrey. He's very much on the no whips sort of mindset these days, mate. So yeah. I guess keep it like, straight up and down. <laughs> yeah. So like, like, I don't know, like I don't feel it unless I feel on a jump. But like when I, I just caught an edge like I literally just got kicked over the bars when I did this whip but since then like I don't know like I went to ride park and I was like they got big jumps and like cool jumps and everyone's like you used to go way bigger it's like no, I just don't <laughs> feel it anymore I right? just not interested <laughs> so but like uh-huh. I can I can still turn the bike upside down it's just like where you got to learn okay all right what do you want out of this like we're not going to be and Axel Hodges here, This that's his career. This is mine's racing type thing. I'm getting paid to race, not do whips. So yeah. just learning that and then, yeah, trying to stay injury-free is another thing. And then obviously trying to nurse nurse the championship home to, to finally get one because I think if I didn't miss those two rounds this year and I got fi- oh, I've got fifth two years in a row now in the MX2 field where I've only raced it three years in a row where I went 
I went seventh in the first year, which was a three round series, I think it was. And then I've gone five five with a round, two rounds missed this year. So I think I could have been on the podium at the end of this year. I think I was a handful of points. I think it was like fifteen or sixteen points behind third. But it's like you can't live on that what what if or what happened. So I kind of got to put my best foot forward next year and go, all right, this is what we're going to do and we've got to be on the box and be there every weekend to get a championship because I want to be – at the end of the year, I want to be walking away with a red plate. Yeah, mate, absolutely. And the upward trajectory is there from, like you said, in the results. And now it's just, yeah, piecing it all together, mate, to sort of be that complete package. And it should be pretty open, the title, next year in MX2, shouldn't it, mate? Obviously, Todd's moving up. I'm assuming Crawford might be doing the same. So it should be pretty open if that's the case, mate. So it's sort of up for grabs, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So kind of – it's a – It'll be a bit, new bit of wind, obviously, with Wilson going up. I think he's got his, got his so many titles out of it. He's like, all right, <laughs> need to go get something else. But um, I'm not too sure what Crawford's doing. Though I heard there was talks of him going 450, but obviously mm-hmm. once that's released is when we find out. Um, but, yeah, I think it'll be it'll be cool to see them guys go up. For Even for myself, like I'm – not the oldest in the in the SX two oh SX two and MX two field where those boys I know I think they're like twenty six or whatever or twenty five where it's like they've been in that class since eighteen nineteen so they've kind of done their their dues and all right it's time to go to the big bikes and where it will bring that new bit of blood into the S oh MX two field where like the MX three can go up and then we like the the midfield of the MX2 move up to the top and then it just brings a whole new field to the scene type thing. So, which would be cool if they off a lot of riders do move up. Yeah, obviously it makes that stacked class MX1 massive and then it makes your class really exciting as well and also stacked. So yeah, it's pretty good the talent pathways coming through in Australia with the development classes and then obviously, yeah, to the full pro ranks. So it's pretty cool, mate. But I guess with the motocross, one thing that all the riders would love to see was a bit more of a condensed schedule. Like even if it is still only the eight rounds, it'd be good to sort of pack it in a bit more closely. So you're avoiding that seven week gap like there was this year between round six and seven. And then that might even give you more scope for supercross training. Like Lee Hogan was saying recently when I spoke to him, it'd be nice to have two defined seasons better for sort of comfort on each discipline and bike testing and setup which obviously plays a part in you guys feeling the best you can be on race day. So what would your ideal sort of, framework be obviously yeah eight and eight like we said it'd be good for supercross and motocross and just to minimize the gaps where possible even though you know the people organizing i'm sure they're doing their best they can because it's no easy task putting together series and the financial climate and just organizing it all with venues and stuff that are at the level and can host these various dates so yeah just your thoughts on some of that mate yeah i reckon it's hard to say because obviously we're not in the shoes of organizing and everything and with the financial and then trying to get facilities and all those things, but personally, I'd I'd love this the outdoor season to be at least ten rounds. I I think eight eight rounds is enough, but it's it's those last few where it's kind of it sucks that Coolum's going because it's like one of those tracks where it was like okay, you kind of found out all right who who the title riders are because it's the last type, it's the last massive race and it's like all or nothing for a lot of riders where it's like okay we've got to get a ride next year it's a hard track we're in the heat and those type things where if we i reckon we shorten the series up a bit well i think 
four weeks is almost too much as well. Where like I know I go home, even for Supercross, I go home. <laughs> yeah, we had that four week break after Adelaide to Newcastle. It was like you almost forgotten about who you're riding against. You yeah. go home and you've forgotten about it. So like Supercross should almost be week on, week off, week on, week off. And I reckon that should be for six weeks where we don't have a lot of privateers in Supercross. And if we do, the privateers are going to make it, make it there regardless. And I think if they did that, we would probably get a bigger following for Supercross as well, where it's like repetitive, where it's like, all right, we're, they're racing this weekend and then people will follow the championship instead of forget about it. And then the same for motocross as well. It's like if we went, started in Melbourne and then I reckon do the races in Melbourne, finish up there. So do say a race, have two weeks off and then on the third weekend race again in Melbourne or two weeks later or whatever. Just I'd do it in the same month, do two races there, two races in another state and two races in the other, like just do that everywhere. I think that would be better off instead of, here, there, everywhere. Like, I think we should just, okay, race in Melbourne. Okay, they can leave their car there. Like, privateers can leave their cars there and fly home or whatever and leave their stuff there so they're not travelling all around the globe, driving from Melbourne back to Queensland, back to Melbourne for the next round. It's like, well, why don't we just get it done and dusted? And I think they should do that over a 14-week period, I reckon, 14 mm. I, I think that would be a really good idea, like try and just smash it out because I worked it out to this year where we wrote, we trained, I think it was 38 weeks. I think wow. it was something like, I think it was 38 to 34 weeks we trained this year and we raced, uh, was well, we did 13 races. Yeah. 13 race weekends. Wow. Well, so, in America, they have 31 race weekends and in the GPs, it's around that 20. So, yeah. Yeah. So, like, half our series is we're just training. Like, we're just hanging around training, and that's where that potential of crashing and then burnt out, and then you only get better if you're racing. And that that's my honest opinion. I feel like you're only – I've grown up with my old man saying, you're only as good as your last race. So, it's so true, though. Like, that's when you finished, and that's where you got to start again is that fifth place or – whatever you finished in. So I think if they shortened it up, it would bring a bit more excitement, a bit more closure to the sport where it's like, all right, they're racing here. They're going to be here. They're going to be here. Like we don't need to go to the flash venues. We just need to make it televised and live and you got to get the following regardless. So I think that's where AMA is really good, where they go to, they go to those big tracks for the start of the year and then they go, they go out whoop whoop or wherever because America's so big, but half the time there's like only four thousand people there sometimes. It's only like Red Bud, um, Parlor, and I think it's Thunder Valley or somewhere else. Oh, Southwick, sorry. Yeah. When they go there where they're getting those crowds. But the biggest thing as well is they only race those tracks for the, the big events. And I think that's where, like, if we went back to some old big venues, like where we got Coona Barabin, uh, Conondale, like some good classic massive outdoor tracks where you'd get some good racing, like 
I'm not sure if you've seen like Kuna Barabin back in like I think it was 2013. It was like that track was so sick. So, so some so ideas, sick. mate. Is there any whispers of what you're hearing's going on the calendar for next year, or like a Harvey Bay or something like that? Or because obviously they got to replace Coolum, so and obviously they've added Horsham to this year's calendar. So yeah, there's obviously they they've got some stuff in the works. They're probably going to drop soon. But I'm any, not too sure. Other Queensland one, surely. I've heard um, Toowoomba's last round. That's all I've heard. So I've heard Toowoomba's last round and one Kagi's round one. And round two's Horsham. Yeah. Are you happy about going back to one Thaggy for round one? Obviously, there was a lot of debate about that on the socials, you know, with the web posts about the news saying that they're going back there. Do you think, you know, that what's your take on it as a rider? Honestly, like it is what it is, but I think it would be cool to see a a new place for round one. Like, since I've raced nationals on a one, oh, I think at an 85, sorry, I've done the rookie cup since an 85. And since I've known, it's been one Haggy. And I think it's just, it's too boring now. Like, we need something this different. Like, it's the same track as when I raced on an 85. Yeah. So it'll be cool to go, all right, we're doing round one here and be something new and different. And like, it'll shred that new bit of light to the series where, if we had, say, all right, round one's Conondale and it's got to be Conondale, this, but you only get, there's only three events at Conondale a year. I think that's a grass track event, an enduro event, and then they have a practice day there. And if they turn that back into, okay, all right, we've got the MX Nationals there again, but it's got to be round one only, you get so many people from the Sunshine Coast and Brisbane that go up and watch it. Yeah, to kind of like make sense how they have A1 in California where there's so much of the industry in that state, you know, and so much of yeah. riders are in Queensland. So you'd probably get that uptick as well in terms of coverage and excitement yeah. and attendance. I think a lot of, and the biggest thing is privateers, a lot of privateers from Queensland. Yeah. I think that's the biggest here though, is the privateers are from Queensland. And a lot of, if you, it's kind of like parlor how they do the round one, like where they make round, like it's kind of hard to say because America's its own. They got their tracks where they they only touch them one one time a year. So it's like if we could kind of go, all right, Conondale and this tracks and this track are got to be only for national spec only, and then they close up shop. That I think that would bring a bit more okay excitement because no one gets to ride them as well. So it's like all right, no one's rode this track for the whole year. Then we're going to turn up, and it's all—it's everyone's on a playing field where you turn up. And I've—I've I've done a handful of laps around Coolum, yeah. but like I know how everything works there, so it's like I can go away and come back and still know what it's like. So if we had some new tracks where it's like, all right, one faggy's out of the occasion, who's going to be around winning then? Mm. So because your 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 fan favourites like Webster and all those boys, are myself as well that ride down there flat out pre-season. It's like, oh, everyone, I know everyone from the Sunshine Coast is like, oh, they got an advantage. And it's like, no, it's not an advantage. I think that it's just riding, getting familiar with the atmosphere around the place. I think that's what needs to change. It's not actually the track because the track's different every time I've rode it. Especially this year. I remember it was ripped that deep. I've never rode it that deep before and wet. And everyone's like, oh, you've definitely rode it like that. And I was like, there's not a chance. Like it was, <laughs> I was like, it's half my waist deep today. So. <laughs> but I think that's the, 
that's one way to look at it. It's like we need to cement some tracks that are only national spec tracks instead of going to club tracks. Like I know it's a lot of money, but there's a lot of tracks that we could do that. Like we could go to Coonabarabin. Like they don't open that back that back section that goes up the hill ever. Like I don't think they've opened it ever since um, the Nationals there in 2013 or whatever it was. So if they could do that, like everyone will be like, holy shit, this is thick. So and then go back to Wanneroo or something over in WA mm. just yeah. to make something new and light light again because it's like there's a, only a handful of WA riders that come and do our series. So if we went over there, it'd be like, all right, okay, the privateers get a chance as well. Mm. Yeah, so. that's a good point. Obviously, it's a long way for the privateers that are on the East Coast. But, yeah, like it is a national series as well. And obviously, the costs are massive for people to get there. But, yeah, you never know. You could do something like a double header, introduce these kind of things, even just for normal race weekends. Obviously, they do the two-day here and there. But, you know, like they do in the German ADAC series, three moto weekends, one on the Saturday Arvo. You could even do a qualifying race. That's yeah. something interest you because you get more point-scoring motos within the framework. Even if it's only eight, you might get you know, those extra rounds equate to a few more rounds by the time the season's finished. So it's good points you make there. You sort of, maybe you're in the wrong line of work, mate. You need to be like a promoter because uh, you're spitting some good stuff there. And also about the fans and the media, about having those condensed series, you get more attention and it sort of stays more relevant, like you were saying, between even a month gap between round one and two in the Supercross. Yeah, the fans sort of disengage a little bit there, probably don't they? Because they're just waiting for the next gate drop. And then, yeah, like yeah. you guys got to pick it back up again. So there's some good yeah. stuff in there, mate. Yeah, I think it, yeah, especially with the, like, the the break is what loses the hype in our series, I think. So, like, I know, like, everyone's so, everyone loves call, oh, it used to be call and QMP or Toowoomba and QMP, where, where it was. Everyone loved those two weekends because it was repetitive and, like, it was, it's so cool to see everyone go from one track and then you see everyone just go into another track. So, it's like, the whole motocross community just like relocates just for that. So it's like the privateers, they still going home and going to work or whatever, but the teams like that's their job. So they can live on the road or live. Like I know it's expensive for the teams to fund that, but there's obviously there is a budget there, but they probably don't touch where it makes it hard, but it's like, okay, well I live out of the truck. Like that's, that's what the state boys do in the mechanics. They live out of the trucks. Like they wash their bikes up after A1 and it's freaking framed out in a box, turn up to the next track or wherever. I think it's San Diego, Oakland, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So they turn up there and they put their bike together and then they set up, set up shop and everyone else goes back home. The promoters are there obviously because that that's their job as well. So Everyone else goes home. The fans, there's a new lot of fans that turn up and then the riders turn up and do their job as well. So I think that's one way to look at it. It's like we're, we're a small part in Australia, but we also do have a big following. It's just we don't utilise. I don't think we utilise everyone as much as we'd like to. Everyone kind of caters for it and go, oh, what about the privateers? What about the costs of living? What about work? And it's like there's money there. It's just we don't want to touch it because we want to, we want it in our back pocket at the end of the day as everyone goes, ah, oh, it's better in my pocket than yours. So I think that's where we would probably grow our sport a lot more and get everyone would actually make more money if we put back to the sport as well. 
Yeah, it's good take, mate. Some interesting stuff. And obviously the profile's growing. Obviously, really great series, great riders, great TV package, especially, you know, the TV package compared to a lot of the domestic European series that has like MXGP riders on off weekends and, you know, guys that just race that as well as the GP. So there's definitely some good stuff there. And there's some, yes, yeah, great scope for growth and improvement, mate, like you said. But yeah, getting back to your career, mate, with so many listeners from, you know, the USA, UK, Europe. I guess there's a lot of them that might not know you and know your story and how you got into motocross and your sort of key milestones and achievements. Obviously, you mentioned growing up racing with the Lawrence brothers. That's a cool little connection you have there and sort of, you know, a good base to start from, mate. So just tell us all the, the ins and outs of the career to get you where you are today. Yeah, so basically started on a fumpster <laughs> and then it progressed from there. Like I, it's Funny that how I got into riding bikes where it started off, I was playing soccer and it just turned into like, all right, I want to have a go on a bike because my brother had one and started off then and then it was onto the Pee Wee 50 and then I remember I was on the Pee Wee 50 for ages and I turned up to a Queensland title and my bike blew up. I got I had second-hand bikes my whole life and I turned up to a Queensland title and I still remember this to this day my bike blew up at that Queensland title. And I had, I was so lucky to have someone, a family friend and also a sponsor at that time that just went out and bought me a brand new bike. And I like, that was my first ever brand new bike and I was so stoked with it. So I was like so happy. And I remember they're like, nah, it's staying at our house. Like I wasn't allowed to ride it (laughs) during the week. And I was like, oh, I was so bummed out about that thing. But like I had secondhand bikes from my older brother, like 65s, 85s, and then Flicked over to that and then it kind of got more serious when I got around that 16 years old and then I won a 85 title, Australian title at Horsham, which like I didn't really like that track, but I was like, I can't, can't diss it. <laughs> so <laughs> I won the title there and I was pretty stoked because like I was so small back then. Like I was, I don't know, I was just a midget. <laughs> so I was like that and then I was actually at that time when I won that title, I, I was racing a 125 as well because it was my second last, no, third last year of juniors. And I was racing, I just got onto the 125. And at that time, I was like, all right, I'll take the 250 to just do track time down there as well. And I ended up getting fourth in the ch- in 250. So that year later, I got on a 125 flat out. And then the last year of my juniors, I got onto a 125 and 250 and I won the 125. Australian Championships and then raced the Worlds that year as well. Uh, that was, I think, after the Worlds is what kind of like, right, if I'm going to make something out of it, I'm, I've got to do it now or it's got to be too late type thing. So knuckled down and raced. Um, it used to be under 19s in the MX Nationals. So it was kind of good. We had a, quite a few big boys in that class. Like we had Reese Bard and like those boys were in there for two years before me. And, uh, Max Purvis, where he was, I think he was on his third year in that that title, going for the title. Like he raced my older brother, and he's twenty four. Yeah. So like, it's kind of crazy to see like them guys still in there, and like we turn like there was a new, fresh blood like Regan. Regan ended up winning the title, but it was like me and Regan were the only like I raced Regan my whole life and battled with him, and then we turned up into a senior ranks, and we were the only two riders to mix it up with the older boys. So it was cool. In that regards, and then went into it was. I would say I wouldn't call under 19s a pro rank, 
where I, I like everyone's like, oh, that's still pro, which, yeah, it is in Australia, but I would say it's kind of like an entry level. Mm. And then we turned up into MX2 in, I think it was 2021, because we got called off on that 2020 series. And then I got my first podium, second race. <laughs> so I was quite, I was stoked with that. I turned up to one paggy, and it was just funny because I had a first turn crash. And my older brother just smashed my bike. And I was on a privateer setup then. So, like, had dad on the tools trying to change my wheel. And it was, like, probably the longest wheel change I reckon I could have done it faster. But <laughs> every spoke was gone. Got in to change it. I went back out there. And I ended up losing two laps. So, they, I got lapped again because, like, obviously, I was two laps down and then halfway through that lap. So, I got scored no points. So I raced the whole race for nothing. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I think it was two weeks off and then we went to Canberra and I got my first podium and I got second overall. And I was racing Kyle Webster, Jay Wilson and the likes of those riders that were like, I used to look up to Jay Wilson. Well, I still do. Like, I think he's an awesome bloke. And it's like to step into the pro ranks and then go straight into that is like after that, I was, I was still privateer at that time, which... I think kind of helped in a way where I didn't have pressure, but I had the pressure from myself of go, okay, I want to do this. I want to, I want to get on a ride where it's paying me to do this, where I can make a living instead of me going to work where I was at work on and off with the old boy and trying to get some money to help out, pay for training and fuel. So after that, I got a, we got called, called down again for COVID. And then went into the 2022 series, still privateer, unfortunately. I was, I thought I would have done enough to yeah. one podium to go, okay, like, all right. But I went privateer again that year, which I had a lot of personal sponsors and a lot of people that helped me out. Like, I can't thank them enough. Um, and that year was probably, probably the the best year in growth for me because I was full-time in Ross Beaton's program. And I think moving away and living away with um, Whitey and Michelle Davey, that helped a lot as in itself, just living out of home and then just being training full-time. Like I think we were training five days a week as well as gym. So it was like a routine flat out. So like by the end of it, I was like Christmas time. I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> but it, that was a really good year. I've And then that was my first year of Supercross at the end of that year where I got the fill-in ride from Blake Fox where he hurt himself. So I got fifth in that championship, which once again, I broke my collarbone. Like I think I broke my collarbone three times that year in 2022. I went to a went to a um a local event, got taken out, broke my collarbone, broke my collarbone. I literally tucked the front in the corner at one paggy at training, broke my collarbone. Then I broke the plate and I was just like, all right, I was so done. I was like, this fucked. So and then turned up supercross, I got I think fifth at round one or fifth or seventh at round one, which that was a marvel. I was stoked with that first ever Supercross race in a massive, massive place. So, and then round two ended up getting third. So I was like even more happy. And then round two, uh, three and four, which like it kind of I was evened out. Like I wasn't expecting 
anything crazy. I just literally wanted to finish the Supercross series. That was my aim was to walk out of Supercross healthy for my first year and be top five. And I wasn't expecting to get a podium. So I was pretty stoked with getting a podium and going from there with the Supercross. And then ended up signing with Gas Gas for 2023, which was kind of a bit of a late sign. Like I didn't sign until I think my birthday which was December the 14th. So I was like, oh, like it was really late. Like everything was left so late. And then I didn't have gear, didn't have anything. So like I don't think I had bikes until like December, uh, sorry, January the 20th or something. It was around there. I didn't have bikes till. And then went down pre-season. Like pre-season was going really good. Like I think there was some days where everyone was like, oh, well, okay, like riding good. And then turned up round one, like I rode good, got cut short. And then um, obviously what happened there was unfortunate. And like I think, I believe we should have just called it, called the race, called everything, but then hurt myself again. So just that train effect of hurting myself has been the problem (laughs) throughout my career. But it was another collarbone, um, scapula, humerus, and punching my lung and crap rib cage. So did like the whole one, did the whole one side, and then I didn't even know at the time because I went to a pretty dodgy place in Melbourne, Frankston, got some X rays, and they're like, "Nah, you just broke your collarbone." I was like, "Oh, sick! Like collarbones done that heaps of times." And then I uh, tried to line up at round two, it happened. And then, like, I put, I literally put my whole shot button in it um, on this practice for qualifying. And um, my arm just went numb. And I remember riding qualifying, and my mechanic put out there 27th. And I was just like, I come in and it was so muddy. And I punched the tree, and he's like, What's wrong? And I was like, I can't feel my arm. Like, I literally couldn't feel my arm. And I went straight to race safe and then, like, I was, like, called it. And I went and sat in that truck all day and it was so hot there. Mm-hmm. It was, like, I think it was 42 degrees or something. It was, like, the hottest day in Sydney that I've ever witnessed. <laughs> and yeah, it was, then, like, uh, the 40-plus degree mudder, wasn't it? Yeah, I was, like, what the heck? And I was sitting in that truck all day because I didn't want to go out there and talk to anyone because I was so furious. And I got in my car because I ended up driving to that round because I obviously broke my collarbone and I was like, all right, I'll just drive up because I don't want my arm to swell. And I got in the car and I drove all the way from Sydney back to Melbourne. I was like so pissed off. I drove back that night <laughs> and I just got, I turned up Monday morning to the MRI place and I got, I think I had like three scans that week and worked out what was wrong. And then I had, I think it was six to seven weeks off, which kind of worked with the, with the break in that way. But in saying that, I was I was so off it. Like, I didn't even want to ride. Like, I turned up to the next round, and it was another mutter. Crash again, <laughs> heard it, and I was like, fucking hell. And then kind of got into the swing of things, started getting some podiums. I think I got four podiums for the year. Everyone was a third place, which I was pretty bummed about, but I'd take what I could get at the time. And then turned into Supercross, which... Supercross was a bit of a hard one because our series got mucked around. It was meant to start a lot earlier than what it did and then it moved back. Then they moved venues and, like, we were meant to – I think we were meant to start in Marvel 
round one and then go into December and all that. So I was like, all right, I can kick the feet up for a little bit and then turns out I can't. <laughs> and then, yeah, hurt myself again at Newcastle, which wasn't – I wouldn't say I'd hurt myself. I would say just slowed things down, slowed the process down. So, But in saying that, it was like a could-be-worse touch wood. So I've kind of got to learn to stay on two wheels throughout my career. <laughs> Oh, mate, you've had a brutal run with the injuries, that's for sure. It's Yeah, fingers crossed that's the end of it, mate, because you've certainly probably done a career's worth almost in uh, in your short career so far, mate. So, yeah, definitely hoping that it's all on two wheels from now on, mate. And obviously with the career trajectory going along, like it's been in a pretty sort of sharp rise recently, what are sort of the career aims? Do you see yourself maybe doing some races in America or are you just sort of focusing the immediate future on doing what you can in Australia and just letting the rest unfold, I guess? Yeah, at the moment, like... I, my biggest goal is I want to go to the States. Like, I, I think the, I'll, a lot of my things of like, okay, where I live and what I do every day is like, okay, like I'm not buying this because I want to go to the States. So it's like my mentality is to be there, but also i got to think about like I'm, if I'm not winning here, I'm not going to win there. So that's my other thing. It's like i gotta, I got to sort my shit out here and be number one in Australia before I go there because – Prime example, Max Ancy got, I think he got third in America Supercross. And he was, I was fucking fifth place to him. So it's like, okay, I need to beat him before I go there type thing. It's like, why are they going to put me on? Obviously, teams and stuff over there can see potential and see what you're working with here and got to okay, take on board of those things. But you got to put your name out there in your own country before you get taken over somewhere else. But I'd love to go over there and do it on my own bat, even for an outdoor series. Um, I think I'd probably do an outdoor series before I do Supercross. I, I don't. I reckon I just don't have enough time and infrastructure into myself for Supercross. Where I've done that for motocross, I've kind of worked out the logistics of what I need to do and what where I need to be, where fitness and all those things. Where I just don't have that enough bike time on Supercross. Yeah. Um, which it would be cool to go do motocross. I think. Parlor being round one, it would be cool. It's in Cali, so turn up there. I think if you did really well at round one, you could make something really special happen for the whole series. You'd probably get a lot of help. And I know that place is so hyped. Like my oldest brother's been over there and he's like, you do well, they'll love you. He's like, even if you do shit, they'll love you. So he's like, he's like, you just got to be like a people person, like, if you can talk well and everything and interact with people, he goes, there's no way that they're going to hurt like shit on you. Like you just, you're your own worst enemy. So he's like, if you don't want to talk or interact or just talk down on someone or anything like he goes, that's when America's like not the best for it. He's like, they will, he's like, you get what you get given when you talk down on people and just bag the country out. So he goes like, just don't do that and you'll be right. <laughs> Oh, they love the international guys coming out too. Obviously, it was called Jed Beat and did that. Wash Oogle and Harwood did that on the two-stroke too. So, yeah, they're definitely well-received, the Aussie guys going there. And like you said about the opportunities, you saw Natchke, you know, he obviously was started off, you know, the Kiwi, and then he was awesome Red Bull KTM in Europe, sort of challenging Prado in those junior days. And obviously, he had a bit of a 
sort of career renaissance when he went and did so well in the outdoors in 250s, wasn't it last year, I think, and now he's on yeah. Red Bull KTM Canada. So, you know, that's the sort of those can be the catalyst for something more. And speaking to guys like Van Berkel, who just gets support from people in America and he goes over and races a couple of nationals like he did well at Southwick. And then, you know, he's getting a Canadian ride on a factory Honda and getting podium. So you never know yeah. where it takes you, can you, mate? You just got to put yourself out there. Yeah, exactly. It's like you kind of look, it's like Ty Masterpool, he's a 450 yeah. tier. And that he was like a bulldog this year. Like he was running up front and everything. It's like for him to be on a privateer program and doing that, they're not a factory team. They're like budgets all on their own bat. And like he was running up with like, I remember the video of him passing Cooper Webb and stuff. I was like, that's so sick to see. Like just people like that where I know he's had star racing Yamaha rides and he got dropped for someone newer and younger. It's like the potential with those riders it's like okay why would they bring someone with me like you know what i mean from my own country it's a lot of money but also you got to like you got to look at it as like okay they took that gamble on hunter and jet and then look how it's paid off so it's like it's all catch 22 and those things you got to put your money where your mouth is and then kind of bank on someone when they got to do well and then also the rider's got to he's got to want it as well so yeah. Um, that's the biggest thing but I mean just for me at the moment I, I do want to go over that I, it, it might come it might not it's it's not planned to go over there but I do definitely want to go over the States next year yeah. um, or the year after even if that's racing part time or full time but it's definitely a goal of mine to get over there as soon as I can like I know I've spoken about it for numerous amount of years to my mum and dad and they're like I'm going I'm going oh, I remember this like I think it was last year actually and I was like I've got all this money saved oh, I was like I'm going I'm not racing and they're like what are you going to do and I was like I'll just live out of the caravan <laughs> and they're like where and I said I'll make it up on the way <laughs> and then, so but it was just like those things it's like I think that's the one thing I've learned it's like if you don't just do it you're never going to do it so I think that's where it's like I'm just gonna when it, like there's no no there's no gonna be planning or anything. It's just gonna be like I'm packing my shit up and going. Yeah, oh, good mate. It's good to have goals and ambitions and you know dreams to chase because yeah, it keeps you hungry as well, mate. And yeah, obviously yeah. big year ahead for you in Australia, mate. And you never know what the future holds. It's really awesome to see that, mate. So I guess you know to close it up. We've already done over an hour here. What are sort of the Obviously, the preseason plans probably aren't locked in, but have you got sort of a start date as you build up towards the next season where you're you know, aiming for great things? So, yeah, it's obviously, no matter where you are, it's going to be brutal in that Aussie summer, isn't it, mate? Yeah, definitely. So, especially, <laughs> I'm not too sure where I'm going to be based yet. So, um, have a few meetings and then um, obviously talk to the family and just try and decide because I, at the moment, I'm trying to just find out where I'm living and then make a plan from there and then work out the logistics of who I'm training with, where I'm training, and then what the plan is for the year. Um, but, yeah, it's just – it's going to be hard, like, especially nowhere, no matter where you are. Like, I think Melbourne's the only place that's cool in summer. But, but like, if I was going to train anywhere, it, training in summer and then you race in winter, it, you kind of get no benefit regardless. Like, you, I remember yeah. turning up. You race in Queensland and train in Queensland all pre-season, then you turn up to one peg and it's like ice. Yeah. So, like, you kind of got to get yeah. used to riding in the cold as well. So, it's hard in that because, like, your hands and all that are so cold where it's good to race 
pre-season, like you get really fit or, or racing in pre-season in Queensland, but it's like you're racing winter, so like you might as well just go down to Melbourne where it's cold and get used to riding cold and being like trying to warm your body up and be right with that. So it's just trying to work out that. Um, I have a few meetings this end of this week actually, so to work all that out and then go from there. But I'll probably start up around where I normally do, around that 20-day mark on January. So gives you about, I think it's like six, seven, uh, sorry, eight weeks or something, I think. I'm not too sure, eight weeks pre-season, which I think that's a, still a bit too much. I'd probably minimise that a bit. But it just limits that hurting factor because our motocross season just drags out. Yeah, and obviously a lot of the brutal stuff gets done in that sort of time, building the base, mate. So, yeah, just yeah. you want to be as primed as possible without those pre-season injuries. And so between now and then, mate, obviously on a little bit of a break now and then maybe you like doing stuff outside of motocross, like having a hit of golf, this kind of stuff, getting out in the water for a surf. So a bit of that yeah. on between now and then? Yeah, so I went and swung swung a club the other day so just i don't know just something different like i don't know get you out of the house instead of just all right thinking about bikes because it kind of gets mind numbing when you go ah oh, i've got to ride up a bike so but no I've, I've locked the bike away for the month um i'll have christmas new year's bit of downtime because we don't really get it much obviously through the year with training like we I, we train so much it's regardless so i'll still obviously ride i I want to go ride and just camp with my mates and go ride some tracks and just have fun and ride, even riding in the bush. Like I love that stuff, like just going put trail riding and stuff, which I did that last year. And it was like some of the funnest days over Christmas where you just go with your mates and you can go have a ball and yeah. instead of on the motocross track, clocking laps. So it kind of just gets boring after a while, but it's obviously my job, but you've got to kind of keep it fun as well. So, but I'll, I'll hit the bike out a few times, see what everyone's up to. I've got a lot of mates like Max Whale and um, Kai Thompson and all those boys that back from the UK and the US from Flat Track. So we'll probably go do something, make something fun. <laughs> yeah, mate, then... come out recalibrated, ready for 24 and just, yeah, refreshed, ready to sort of attack it. That's probably the best bet to go. And before I let you go, mate, just anyone you'd like to thank in particular, obviously the team, family, friends, sponsors, just give you a chance to do that now because obviously they're very integral components of your plan and your program. Yeah, definitely. So I'd like to thank, like, obviously, me mechanic. Um, I haven't released any future plans yet, but obviously everyone knows that I'm not with Gas Gas, so I'd give them a massive shout-out. For the past two years, my mechanic and manager, or boss, Kyle Blondin, and those boys, so they were a massive part of my 22 season and obviously 23 season, so I can't thank them enough. And then... um. Just uh, fell above brick and block. So, yeah, can't thank him enough too with the help and support for private sponsors. Yeah, awesome, mate. It's really cool. You're grateful for all that support because, yeah, they certainly make it happen a lot of the time. And, yeah, no, it's been a great chat, mate. It's really been awesome. And, yeah, we'll definitely look forward to following your progress and, you know, watching you sort of go for that title next year and, yeah, getting you back on for another chat at some point as well, mate. So, yeah, cheers again for taking the time. And before we let you go, we'll thank the sponsors in Fly Racing, Monster Energy, Fox, Parts Europe, Scott, Bell Helmets, Acherbys, AS3 Performance, Kawasaki UK, KTM UK, O'Neill, Whole Shop Motorhomes, and of course, even Stroke for all their incredible support, as without them, none of this would be possible. All right, thanks again, Noah. Been an absolute ripper chat, mate, and all the best for the future. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. All the best.